Hi, I'm Todd Nathanson. And I'm Lena Morgan. And this is Song versus Song. We have a we have a boomer classic this week. We love boomer music here at Song versus Song. Don't we, Lena? Uh, <laughs> it's the 60s. It's the greatest era of music ever. I don't want to cause a big s- s- sensation. <laughs> but I don't know that that's us talking about our generation. <laughs> You sound like you can't uh, get much satisfaction out of these. We are doing the Rolling Stones, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, versus the Who's My Generation. People try to put us down, talking about my generation. All right. Normally we build up to this, but I'm just going to ask. Pick one. Pick one now. Okay. Which is, which is the better song? Uh, which is the better boomer non-Beatles British Invasion classic of 1965. The Who is the better band, Satisfaction is the better song. All right. I disagree. My Generation is the better song. Are, are you saying that because you mean it or because you want to have an opposite position? Are, no, no, no. This one I am quite sincere about. Sometimes I will lie for the sake of drama. Uh, look at me uh, sacrificing my journalistic integrity here. But... Uh, I, I do firmly believe that my generation is the better song. I mean, we all have to be wrong sometimes. I mean, you're wrong <laughs> about this. You're wrong about New York pizza. All kinds of things that you're wrong about. I am not wrong about New York pizza. I'm, it's the most overrated pizza of all pizzas. I mean, that's like saying that Beatles are the most overrated band of all time, I guess. Like, they're just the most known. New York pizza is just the most known pizza. Anyway, that's not what it's this also pie, actually this is not pizza bad. Versus, this is not slice versus slice. It's song versus song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, fine. All right. So we disagree. Excellent. I although I think I, I think I would agree that the Who are better than the Stones as a band. I mean, certainly, yeah. especially if if we were going to grade on the nineteen seventies, unquestionably. <laughs> well, uh, I would say the Stones are a better band in the sixties, but the Who are a better band in the seventies. But my generation is better than satisfaction. I mean, I that's tough to say. Um because like Tommy's 1969 and just eh, based I'm not, I'm, just based on I'm like, not really into Tommy. I'm I, I think I look at the Who and just see a band that that really took a journey and the Stones are just the Stones. The the, the Stones did many things during the course of their lives. Their long insanely long lives. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I don't, I don't that know the, that changed their sound a lot was one of them. They were much different in uh, 1985 than they were in 1965. If you say so. I, to me, the Stones always have the same kind of energy to me. I mean, Miss You is obviously different from like Paint It Black and She's a Rainbow is obviously different from Start Me Up. They had more modes than you give them credit for, I think. If you say so. I mean, the Who were not that different either. I mean, they evolved a lot, but so did the Stones. They're they're still scrappy in 65, and they became like a big arena rock band in the 70s, and then they had the Quadrophenia and the the Who Are You. But I don't think that's as drastic a difference as you might think. As I mean, compared to the Stones, I guess they were a little more consistent, but I don't think they were like that. Um, I think it really is the album thing. Which we've talked about before, which is that the Stones, I have never thought much of as an album band. They're a singles band. Whereas I look at the Who and go like, well, they're doing something. 
You know, whether that or not you fair. like those albums, um, they have, you know, concepts. Quadrophenia is a concept. Tommy is a concept. Like, they sat down and were like, what are we doing with this? And so they created full, thoughtful records. And I just never think of Rolling Stones as really doing that, except, I guess, for, like, the which one? There's, like, one. For uh, Her, Man- Her Majesty's Satanic Request? Yeah, 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 that one. Yeah, that one, yeah. That's, a, that's about Daenerys Targaryen, that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's almost hard for me to say that album's name now. Well, that was why ca- I, for a second I was like, wait, that's not actually the name of it, is it? <laughs> it is. It is her Her Majesty's Satanic Request, which shows up in the script of the final season of Game of Thrones, uh, describing T- Daenerys Targaryen. One of many ways in which that show went off the rails. It's, and a, now it's it the, the funniest thing. I'll, it's all I can think of. This is again. This is like. Um, not a song of ice versus a song of fire. Fire. This is a completely different song versus song, but it is hard to think of Game of Thrones <laughs> and not think of this one thing forever for me. Anyway, all right. So, what's your argument for my generation? You know, it's a funny thing that we always, uh, even on the show, argue Beatles versus Stones. That's just the debate that always happens. It seems like the Stones and the Who have more in common to me, like. They, I mean, the Beatles, even like at their baddest, they were always still the cute ones, you know, versus the the Stones and the Who, who were, you know, scrappy and dangerous. And the Kinks, the other ones. The Kinks were, it's funny because their music became cuter as they got, as they went on and uh, more pastoral, the Kinks did. Um. I mean, we're in 1965, so both of these bands are still very scrappy. They're not uh, stadium bands yet. They're they're nobodies so far. They're just yes. I mean, literally, these songs are the are kind of the ones. Yeah, the Who at this point are the Who? Question mark. Please clap. I won't. I refuse. <laughs> I already clapped so that our editor would be able to sync up our audio. It's the only clapping I'll be doing. And for me, like the appeal of both bands is that they were bad boys. Like, the the Rolling Stones were dangerous, and the Who would blow shit up. That's, that's what true. I like about. Yeah, that's by bad boys li- with the Who, don't you just mean Keith Moon? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but they it, it wasn't just the fact that Keith Moon would uh, wreck shit. They sound dangerous at this time. Like, my generation is a messy song. It is a proto-punk song. It practically invented punk, honestly. Like, that's like the, if you were going to name the first punk song or like the first thing that pointed towards punk, I would pick my generation. I will say that I I, I have a, a thing I will say that's very similar but slightly different about that. Um, because, uh, here, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the lead. One of the differences for me, one of the reasons why I picked the Stones over the Who in this case is because the best version of Satisfaction is the Rolling Stones version, whereas the best version of my generation is not the Who version to me. All right. I think uh, both of those are incorrect. Oh, great. I can't wait to discuss this. <laughs> That's one of the fun things about this episode, I think, is that um, we'll have a lot of cover song stuff to talk about and also kind of recording stuff to talk about. You'd already sort of hinted at the Who sounding dangerous Yes. And that's a thing. I mean, that's a that's that's not by accident. That's by design. It is. 
for me, Satisfaction is like one of those great rock and roll songs. I mean, I am no anti-boomer, but Satisfaction has definitely worn out on me. And my generation, just by being scrappier, still holds up to me. That is my basic argument. I believe my um, my generation as a like as a bunch of young guys thumbing it to the uh, to the older generation. I buy that versus satisfaction, which is like technically about being alienated by modern society. And I just don't buy that from uh, from Mick and Keith. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that at all. Um, I mean, I tr- so I would say that uh, the my generation thing is in part. I, I I have to set aside the fact that I'm like, who's generation? What are we talking about right now? Hmm. <laughs> people try to put us down just because we can afford our house. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is hard to put yourself in a, a mindset of where the boomers were the dangerous generation. The yeah. rebels. Yeah, and then also um you know, with the exception of Keith Moon. The line, I hope I die before I get old. Mm-mm. Well, that's got to hit different. I'll tell you, I, I'll tell you this much. I'm very glad that I didn't write my generation. <laughs> I would hate to have done that. And I'll tell you uh, why. It's because I would have been such an asshole about it. Um, like if, if somebody still wanted me to like play that song now, you, you know, I would be singing it as uh, wish I died before I got old. <laughs> Don't get old, kids. Better to die. Anyway, uh, uh, the great uh, anti-boomer Kurt Cobain wrote in <laughs> wrote in one of his diaries, "Hope I die before I become Pete Townsend." <laughs> <laughs> oh man! I mean, dark, especially considering how that turned out. But oh well, maybe if he just let his love open the door. Ah, uh, I like Pete let- Townsend heart. heart <laughs> you know. That's a reference for a very specific generation of people, I feel. Um, uh, I don't know how well-known that song still is at this point. It was prominently featured in the Steve Carell rom-com, Dan in Real Life. Um, I remember it as prominently featuring in the John Cusack film, Gross Point Blank. Uh, I am almost certain it showed up in an Adam Sandler movie once. I don't know which oh. one, but... From what era? <laughs> Is it that era? Who knows? <laughs> They're all the fucking same. Um, what were we talking about? I don't know, man. This uh, episode's garbage. <laughs> Fire it out of a cannon. All right, what were you saying about why satisfaction is better? Um, well, I like it better because I, uh, I think that the the subject matter does it, and I think it it maintains very well like that hatred of commercial culture. Um, I buy into it, which I guess is ironic. Uh, but uh, I think it works. I also think that um, it's just one of those songs where like the chorus is just so goddamn catchy and so fucking memorable. Uh, and the, the use of the fuzz box, right? Which the, the story, which sort of makes it interesting is that uh, Keith Richards had had a plan I suspect that we're going to come back to this when we talk about your favorite version of the song mm-hmm. where there was going to be a horn section. And then he said, uh, and then he was like, yeah, the horn section would sound better. And he didn't really like the sound of the fuzz box. 
And there are all kinds of problems with the fuzz box. Like if you listen to the track, you can hear that there's a point where like he clicks it on because he, he's clicking it on and off. And mm-hmm. there's a point in which he comes in a little late. There's a point where he has to like click it early and you can hear the fuzz come in. And like there can, there's a point where he like isn't sure that it's on. So you hear like a random errant note. There's all these uh, things that impact the overall um, aspect of this song because of the fuzz box specifically. And Keith Richards hated it. But the band was very insistent that they didn't need a horn section, that the fuzz box, not the first time that a fuzz box was used, but uh, so prominent. And I think like it's just the whole song is kind of just there for for that sound, right? That fuzzy sound to come out on that lead line. And uh, I think in the end, what I come away from is that all that stuff, all that imperfect stuff is the thing that makes the song perfect, right? The imperfectly perfect yeah, they don't make music that sounds like that anymore. And that's I think that's the reason why for me. Like not only is the structure of the song so perfectly done, but because of these little mistakes, it makes it feel very authentic, very raw and surprising no matter how how many times you hear it. Like it just you know, you said that you you know, you've kind of not not necessarily soured on it, but like Oh, maybe absolutely like, not. But like, but you know, like you've heard it so many times that you can kind of get over it a little bit. Yeah, it's it's dulled for me. But I will say that to me, if you haven't heard it in a while and then you do hear it, I think it still sounds really fresh in a way that I think a lot of music from the 1960s doesn't. And I'm not sure that that the Who version of my generation even does. And that also has got um, a pretty, pretty interesting story of what was happening in the studio at the time. Do tell. Uh, well, they put like 12 mics on the drums, 12, that's not normal. So like, usually I think there's like three mics at this time on the drum set, right? Mm -hmm. Like you just got like, like, like kind of like a room tone. I think you put something like towards like a snare or a tom and then like, I don't know. There's like, I'm not a drum player, but I can tell you that like typically in the 1960s, there were three mics on a drum and they did 12 because they wanted to create a full sound. Let me tell you something. I actually think that the drums sound kind of thin on my generation. Like there's a lot of them, but I don't like the kind of bassiness that I want to come out of that track. Now, keep in mind, I've got bad tinnitus. So like I'm, I'm losing stuff on both directions. No, no I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I, I hear it. I'm listening to it right now and I hear it. Like I, I don't, I think it didn't work. Uh, the other big thing is that that whole song, as far as like, the the things that people most know it from is because of like there's kind of like an, an external thing that's occurring like I think somebody being like eh, here's what you should do so like Kit Lambert was like faster because originally the version was supposed to be much slower and he was also the one that told um, Daltrey that he should stutter which was only uh, I think the only time they were gonna like quote stutter was on um, Fade Away like why don't you all fade away great i mean absolutely outstanding because we all know what it is that you hear implying uh, that like that that couple of seconds of just the f sound you're like yes, yes I, I, I i i had to be told oh that I mean, seems so clear to me anyway um i mean i was a kid i you know i'm very innocent child I'm yes a, i'm like now i'm a man very now. innocent adult yeah uh yeah i I think that that's all interesting, but the thing that, that makes the song work, I mean, the, the, the stutter is great, and I think it's probably the thing that people think of the most. It's the bass, isn't it? 
The bass is the best part of that song. Yeah, it's weird because Ent Whistle. That's like the very first time, well, maybe not the first, but like it's certainly up there as far as hearing a bass solo on a pop song. And John Entwistle wasn't exactly like the the prime front and center like attraction for the who. <laughs> um, Hold on, I'm going to look it up. I don't know. There was like uh, like a joke in like Mad Magazine or something where it was like listing all the damages that the Who's management had to pay for. It was like mm-hmm. trash to hotel by by Keith. That's another five thousand dollars. Television thrown out of this. It's like eight billion dollars on cocaine. It was like two dollars worth of soda for Entwistle because <laughs> he was just the guy standing there while everyone else is going nuts. Just yeah. Like, well, the thing about about him is, at least for that song, is that they they'd had like a particular bass, um, Madan Electro, and I guess he was breaking the strings on it, so that the, they had to replace not the strings, because I guess they couldn't get more the strings on their own, so they'd like they replaced the get whole more. bass. Sorry, go Da-da-da. on. <laughs> um, Sorry, we're talking about my generation. Yeah. Anyway, they like bought a whole a new bass to replace it, and. Weirdly, diametrically opposed, um, the guy who was the producer, the guy who was responsible for um, the 12 uh, mics on the on, on the, the, drums. On the drums, he was like, hey, Keith, please, for the love of Christ, do not destroy these microphones. <laughs> and he didn't. Oh, he didn't destroy the mics. He basically drummed every centimeter of the drums he had, but he stayed away from the mics and didn't destroy any of them, supposedly. Yeah, maybe that's why they had 12 drums. I mean, 12 mics, because they were only, they thought they were only going to have three by the end of it. <laughs> I think it's, a, I think it might've been a trick that, um, that the, the, uh, Shell Tommy had, had kind of used in the past. Right. I don't, it's very weird to me. I mean, the 1960s in general, I feel like a lot of the time, um, drums have a tendency to sound kind of thin, uh, in general, but like, a oh boy, uh, department of redundancy department, but like, I don't know. I just, you, you expect because of re- later records where like those drums feel much bigger. Yeah. And, and by later, we mean like just like a couple of years later, right? Yeah. It's not like way down the line, uh, you know, like before the sixties are done, I feel like you just, you feel the bassiness more, right? Like, it's just like, there's way more Tom that you're hearing, right? There's just way more like bass drum. Like there's just a lot more sound. There's a lot more oomph. It really fills the room in a way that it just doesn't at all on this track. And I feel as though it kind of, as chaotic as it still is, I just, I want more. I want more of that, especially because the other thing that I love so much about that song is the, is the bass guitar that you're like, okay, but like that's, so that's the thing. If that's your strength, then like you really got to feel that like that's going to be a little further in the mix, in my opinion. Yeah, the bass on it does sound amazing to me. I actually like how it sounds a lot. Mm -hmm. And like there's only one thing I can think of that really sounds like that, which is the guitar solo on um, You Really Got Me. Mm. Like where it just like sounds like strings should not be able to do that. Like it sounds like you're playing barbed wire. Well, he does a Entwistle does a thing that he doesn't usually do. It in fact, bass players in general don't usually do, which is he uses a pick on that. Yeah, it, it sounds amazing. 
Yeah, like you couldn't, I don't know that you could necessarily do that as well um, if you're just using your fingers. But like, also, I don't think that usually that's what you should be doing with a bass guitar anyway, but it does work very well for the song. Yeah. Uh, During the uh, pandemic, I got myself a set of rock band drums and I've been playing those a lot. Like it helps keep me focused while I'm working from home and stops me from bouncing off the walls. I bought all the, the Who DLC songs and I am not a real drummer, so don't uh, take me as saying that. But like trying to play those patterns, those Keith Boone patterns is insane. There is nothing else in that entire game that is even remotely like playing like Keith Moon. It feels like you are a child just banging on the drums, except it sounds amazing. Yes, he's a bit of an animal. <laughs> he is the most animal of the drummers. Like, yeah, I mean, Bonham doesn't yeah. sound like that. Uh, no one sounds like that, really. And when you play the Stone stuff, it's uh, like Charlie Watts is a great drummer, but he's not a flashy drummer. And something about satisfaction for all it's like danger at the time just feels a little smooth to me. I don't know. It's weird because. I know it's not polished in the sense of like what you would call polished in 1965. But to me, after 60 years of rock, it does sound polished. I don't know. I really don't know. I don't think either of the songs sound particularly polished. And I definitely don't think Satisfaction sounds polished because of the mistakes that are in the actual recording. Which again are what make it my favorite recording it's that there are mistakes in there and the mistakes actually make the song feel better, feel more real. I got to say, I just don't feel like Mick Jagger sounds particularly unsatisfied. He does have darker stuff. And part of me is always amazed that he wrote Paint It Black because that is such a loser's song. And Mick Jagger is not a fucking loser. Like Mick Jagger has never struck me as an angry person or a frustrated well, person. I, I wonder if, so to flip it on its head, to be an intellectual, as I always am, uh, I think that there's a point in which you are given so much all the time, which is kind of what the song is about, right? Like the idea of like a commercial availability of everything, the oversaturation of market is, is that eventually you reach a point where you've been overstimulated and so now you can't get satisfaction. satisfaction. And I suppose you could make a good argument that if we're going to transfer this to um, sexual conquest, mm. then perhaps the man has had so much <laughs> that he needs to like take a break. Otherwise he, you know, he's not going to get any satisfaction. You know, I, you that's will. not, that's not how I took that song. Uh, I don't think it's about sex. But I no, think it's but just, I do. But I do think it's about the idea of. I mean, God, sorry. I think it's about general frustration. I guess it is fair to say that the the Stones were not satisfied yet in 1965 because this is like their their big breakthrough song. They had a couple hits in the UK at that point, but Satisfaction is the song. It's not just like their biggest song. It's their first song that was big. Yes, like, it is the difference between the Stones being some UK band and the Stones being a worldwide sensation. Yeah. Sensation. 
So what's your favorite version of Satisfaction? Otis Redding. Okay. <laughs> a great fucking version of that song. Uh, I would say that that is, so I have two covers of that that I really like. And one of them is that version. Otis Redding version is outstanding. I think that it's, you know, again, if it wasn't for the fact that like the Stones have this cool, these little imperfections on that recording, I, I think the Otis Redding version would be my number one. But um, the horns, just the overall vibe, the energy to it is really outstanding. Like I think he had to be talked into doing it too, which is pretty wild because he's so natural to it. Um, that like, it, you know, if you, if you were going to cut out, if you could never listen to the Rolling Stones version again, and you could only listen to cover versions, boy, that, that wouldn't be so terrible actually, because you'd have this. And, um, as a really cool, um, counterbalance, there's the cat power version, which I think is absolutely brilliant. What a genius thing that Shan Marshall came up with when she did an album full of covers was ago, you know, this concept, I can't get no satisfaction. How would I express that if I was going to cover the song? I know. I would take away the iconic guitar lick, and I would also never sing the chorus. <laughs> All right. I have never heard this version, but I am uh, listening to it now. Shem is a genius. A genius. The thing about Cat Power's covers is that you don't – a lot of the time you don't really have to listen to a cat power cover to know how it's going to sound. Yeah. But I think that like, to me, this is kind of the quintessential just because yeah, there's a, there's a definitive concept, right? She's specifically um, preventing you from reaching satisfaction. That is clever. Yes. Uh, I think that's really smart. And I, and I like um, her as an artist. I like her as a musician, as a singer, and I like the, the producers that she works with. So I, I happen to like this rendition of the song, not just because I think that there's this sort of clever idea behind it, but because it is it is just really well done. And it's so completely, completely different. It's a total reimagining and inversion of the original song um, that I think that um, I think that it's it's probably my second favorite cover um, for sure. I, I have a, a follow up question for you. All right. Which cover song is worse is it the britney spears version of satisfaction or is it the hillary duff version of my generation all right i know it's 2023 and we're not supposed to be talking bad about britney and now we've reevaluated her entire work and her entire genre really well, there's a lot that I like. This is not, I'm not judging her on the whole. We're talking about her rendition of a song. That's it. Yeah. I would say that I am not a fan of either of these versions for the exact same reasons that I would have been 20 years ago. I am I'm resistant to change. However, I do appreciate Britney Spears' version as like kind of punk rock in its own way. And I could do that for Hillary Duff's my generation also, if I wanted to look at it, but that one feels a lot less funny and edgy to me. I, so I have a, a particular reason why I would take Brittany over Hillary Duff in this case. Um, while I like that the opening for the Hillary Duff version, it, like you, there's a repetition of the word people 
before we do the stuttering part. And I actually think it's kind of interesting as an idea. I don't know if it's executed perfectly, but like I like it as an idea. But the thing that always, always has stuck out about it is that she changed the lyric. Hope I don't I die. I hope be- I don't die before I get old, which is just about the least punk rock thing I could imagine anyone ever say. It's <laughs> like, nope, nope, nope. You can't uh, do like you can. I'm not saying that you can't change the lyrics to my generation. My favorite version certainly does change the lyrics. Um, but I think that changing in that direction is like such a colossal misstep um, yeah. that it just like anything else that's 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 worthy of merit in that version. It just is completely negated just by that one thing. Uh, whereas the Britney version is definitively its own thing. I just yeah. think that it's. Like I would, it's still, it's still. I wouldn't call it good, it, but it's not horrible. Like at least, the, at least a swing was taken, and I can respect it. Right? Yeah, there is something willfully subversive about Britney Spears' satisfaction, especially at the time when her entire style of music was so disrespected. There, there was a lot of charge to it. I can't say I particularly enjoy listening to it just the same way that I don't particularly enjoy the Devo version, but I respect the instincts. It's like, how do we drive this song into the exact opposite of what you would expect from it? The Devo. Yeah, it's it's weirdly punk rock of her to do it the way that she did. Mm hmm. I, I definitely like, like it more. I think, she, I think she did it knowing that it would piss people off, and I kind of appreciate that. Yeah, you can absolutely see the intent there versus her I love rock and roll, which is just like bad in just like a flat way. It just straight up doesn't work as like conceptually or in execution. Satisfaction by Britney, there is something there, especially since by that point, Britney Spears was as big as the Rolling Stones, basically. Yeah, I would still say I look back on it, and and while there's a germ of something interesting and the shot was taken, I still don't think it's good. I, boy, uh, if I had to listen to one version over and over again between that or the Devo version, I don't know. The, to me, the Devo ver- version is kind of a nothing burger. I mean, the, the the joke is that they do this, like, classic cocks out rocking out rock and roll song and they do it as stiffly as possible. Yeah. Again, I already have the, I've got the, the cat power version, which I, <laughs> you know, came out much later, but like, I think that cat powers concept is, is much funnier. Um, and then also like in execution actually seems really serious. So that she manages to thread the needle and do both at the same time. How about this, which do you think is more interesting to either band or, or to you watching it? If you had to go see either of these bands now, or at the very least, well into their legacy years, not necessarily right at this moment when they're you know they've lost so many members, both of them. But yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually really want to see either of them do it legacy wise. I don't. I don't. I don't I have no interest. I mean, the Stones still make kajillions of dollars. And yet, I just don't care about the Stones at all. Like, except for a couple of their earlier singles, I just, I remember they had a big resurgence in the 90s when I was in high school, and I remember just not caring at all. So you were always a a Who version? I mean, a Who person? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I remember like I actually o- would own Who records, and and I, yeah. you know, I mean, I've t- I've talked about my relationship to Boomer music because of uh, the influence that my dad had, and he fucking loved Quadrophenia, loved it. Quadrophenia, interesting. I mean, yeah. not, I mean, well, it's not. Just, it's a beloved album, I know, but like, well, he just liked it because you know I, the story is that you know we were you know lower middle class and then uh my mother bought a a painting at a garage sale and the garage sale painting ended up being worth like 12k and so we made a mint on it we'd never had that kind of money all in one go and so we went out and like bought a bunch of stuff for the house my dad bought a surround sound system which we'd never had before he bought a nice record player and one of the first things he brought up was quadrophenia because he wanted me to be able to listen to the the thing all the way around. He wanted me to get the the dimensions of the record and be like, oh, listen to like how new and fresh this even still sounds now. And it was interesting. It was certainly interesting to listen to. Uh, and I think that that rubbed off on me, that idea. Like when I say I think The Who is the better band, I think I got that idea from my dad because they would do stuff like that where they were interested in the soundscape. Yeah, as a non-boomer I definitely found the who a lot easier to get into than the stones. And uh, I like the stones well enough, you know, uh, I listen to sticky fingers a lot. And I just like, I listen to the who's next a lot. They both peaked in 1971, but the who felt smarter, I guess they had like that nerd energy to them, especially Townsend. He was a little pretentious, and that was easier for me to get into. There's a part in American Pie where it seems like he just like straight hates Mick Jagger. And that's because Don McLean and American Pie is about being a nerd who likes rock and roll, but will never be rock and roll. And there's like the, the Stones. I cannot imagine them not being the big, gigantic rock stars that they were from here on out. Versus the Who, I can imagine them in their not rock star world, in an alternate universe where they never got huge and they kept making albums like this. Yeah, you could see them being math nerds. Yeah, like again, Townsend especially. Sure. Yeah, yeah. He's a pocket p- protector. If a pocket <laughs> protector was a human being. That yeah, that's just something that the Stones don't have for me. And so I like the Stones well enough, but like the Stones will never be part of me you know again like you know if we were going by band Mm -hmm. i'd agree with you it's really down to the song todd do you think you've earned you've earned the answer to the question um what is the best version of my generation what other versions are you thinking of well i'll tell you this um there are two that immediately jump out one that i don't think is good but has um one part that I really like in it, which is uh, the Green Day version. I remember buying um, Kerplunk. I remember this is, one, yes. And and, uh, and there's there's a, a point in the middle of the song where someone yells, "Heineken, fuck that shit." <laughs> and that's and that's fucking right. Fuck Heineken, fuck that shit. Fuck Heineken. That's the worst goddamn beer out there. <laughs> that that was like that was like a bomb for my soul. I was so happy to hear. I was like, yes. I hate Heineken. It's the worst. Be- anyway, not a great song, but an important sentiment uh, and have been very well appreciated. Uh, however, um, if we step backwards a little further and, and go to the 1970s, uh, 
we do get the actual best fucking version by a lot, and it is the live version from Hmm. Patti Smith. Patti Smith absolutely destroys this song. It is one of the best things I've ever heard in my life. That it is the epitome of punk rock. Um, it is the Gen X version of the song. It is so fucking good. Uh, it is so hot that if you never heard it before and you listen to it right now, I'll tell you this. It sounds like music that's being made by your lo-fi local bands today. Incredible. And Patti Smith, by the way, is just one of the greatest artists to ever walk the earth. My generation, for as much as The Who became big bloated rock stars as they grew up, and as much as Hope I Die Before I Get get Old gets more and more embarrassing the older they get, I think my generation, you cover it, and you can like cover it pretty straight, and it will still hit. Versus, I, I think... I don't know. If whatever the equivalent of the Stones are now did Satisfaction... I don't think it would hit. I have a question for you um, because when we were doing this, uh, something had occurred to me, which is that uh, relevant to Satisfaction, a new version of that song literally just dropped. Like I would say within a week of us recording this, that being the version off of Dolly Parton's rock album. uh, And it's her with Pink and Brandy Carlisle. I meant to listen to this before we started, so we're going to pause for a moment. Okay, this is cute. It is cute. It's not the worst track on that record, by the way. Um, I don't want to say anything disparaging about Dolly Parton because I do actually think that I will die on the spot if I do. (laughs) <laughs> and if I don't, you, I'll, 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 I'll feel, I feel like, 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 a, like a Dolly Parton Cenobite's going to come out from the walls and be like, we have such sights to show you. And then uh, introduce me to a new world of pain for the rest of eternity. I don't know that Rockstar as a record is something that I would uh, really spend a lot of time with. It's, but she does some, some cute stuff. And Brandy Carlisle, of course, is an incredible singer. And... To be clear, while we're while we're paying compliments, um, Dolly Parton's upper register still kills. <laughs> still great. Like when she hits the high notes, ooh, still very good. I, I like Dolly's uh, "Stairway to Heaven" a lot, and uh, I guess she's like plowing her way through the top ten rock songs of all time. But uh, here's the I, thing: like yeah, I said, I don't think it. satisfaction just hits anymore. Here's the thing that I want to ask you, though, because realizing that that song was getting, you know, granted a a, a version from Dolly Parton, it did make me think about the fact that we'd spent a very long time. Also, I just watched the the video that you did about the Nickelback train record. Mm -hmm. And there's a a part you should watch, but you should watch that for somehow you listen to the podcast. but (laughs) Don't watch train records. Check that one out. But um, part of the overall thesis uh, there is this moment that comes up where you talked about the idea of Nickelback killing rock. I don't, I don't endorse that. I was just discussing the possibility, but but, it's a, but it is a thing that came up. And certainly the undeniable truth is that um, by the late two thousands, rock and roll had really gone away. It certainly was not the dominant form of music. And that has remained true for a very, very long time. And yet, I would argue that now 
right fucking now, things are shifting. Like you made a joke about what you saw somebody holding a guitar and you were like, what is this strange instrument? (laughs) People fucking know what that instrument is right now. Guitar has had a very surprising resurgence. I know. Well, I mean, we'll see what like the in in 2011, there was a, a lot of saxophone. There were a lot of saxophone solos on pop songs. We'll see if that's like this is a trend that lasts. I'm curious, though, if you if let's say it does last, do you think that there's, you know, if Nickelback, if, if we went with the thesis that Nickelback is the thing that killed rock, do you think that there is a unifying act right now that is a rock act that people will point to in years to come as potentially the band that brought rock back to the mainstream? I, I don't know. Um you tell me what you're thinking of. No, I mean that. I honestly don't have an answer to this question. You know, uh, because I don't, the thing uh, is that I never, I never stopped listening to rock and roll. <laughs> like I am, I am old. I wish I had died before I got old. Uh, uh, I. So you know that genre of music is something that I've always clung on to, and so you know for me, there's always stuff out there. I can tell you certainly that uh, there's so much of it out there now. Um, that's you know not like on the pop charts or anything, but is available to, to me that I can't keep up with all of it. And it did not used to be that way. Even like two or three years ago, it wasn't like this. And I'm trying to crack the case. How is, what is causing this to happen? And I do, by the way, think it's going to stick. We'll see. We will see. You want to do the questions? I think, I think I do. All right. Well, we do this thing after we've, we've, we've dilly dallied where we uh, do four questions, which hopefully take everything that we said and turn it from a garbled mess into a coherent argument. The first question is, uh, one of these songs is going to stick around. The other one is going to disappear as though it never existed. <laughs> Gone. For the culture and for these bands, Todd, which song has to stay? Jesus Christ. God, it's a... Not an easy one this week. No. I mean, like, if we erase either of these, we may as well, like, just, like, take a take an atomic bomb to history. Like, we are, like, we live on the moon. Or, you know, the the dragons have taken over. I really cannot imagine the world we are describing where one of these songs doesn't exist. I think I would go with my generation. That's the one that's got to stay? That's the one that's got to stay. <sighs> I, I, I mean, like, I, I don't I, think I agree. I don't think I agree. I mean, it's it's not easy. It's not easy. I feel like my generation is more specifically influential on a large group of uh, songs that came after, not just in its sound, but in its attitude. Satisfaction. I don't know. It's hard to describe that one, though, because satisfaction is rock and roll. Satisfaction just fucking is rock. I don't know. To me, it's that one, um, it, but it is tough. Except like, I had something I was going to say on that one right on my head. Um, oh well. Like, 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 would rock and roll exist after satisfaction <laughs> without satisfaction? Like, that's. Oh, that's I I I, I truly cannot imagine. It. I I may change my vote actually. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing. I just, like, oh, I know what I was going to say. Um, I mean, it would never happen. I mean, and, and certainly it would not have stood the test of time. But, I mean, there are other Who tracks that I really, really, really like that I feel like could have been 
big hits. I always wish that Substitute had been a, been a bigger hit. I love Substitute. It's a great song. I really wish that one of the lyrics wasn't, I look all white, but my dad was black. <laughs> it's it's not held up. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, like, the thing is that there's a way that you could have had that lyric in a different kind of song where, like, you're speaking to something, but, like, also, the A, that's not true of the person singing that song. Uh, and two, uh, you know, uh, it's substitute the the whole idea is that, like, you you perceive this one thing as being good, but in fact, um, the thing is not real and it's actually bad, you know. Uh, so uh, that is terrible. That is not held up very well. But the rest of the song absolutely rips. I wish they could just, I wish you could go back in time and just replace that one lyric and then say, like, substitute. Make substitute be the song instead of my generation. Like, it's not as era-defining, but man, what a great song. Um or maybe the Kinks would just have written something really big in its place, and then the Kinks would have the the presence that the Who do, which would also be great because I love the Kinks. Same. I'll 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 whip you up a Kinks episode at some point. Oh man, I think we're gonna go further backward at one point. I'm waiting to do someday. We're gonna do like an, a, a Roy Oberson versus Elvis. Ooh, like we gotta do that. Um, and I don't really. I, I only carry water for one of those guys. Um, but I do really. Uh, I, I I was talking about it earlier. Anyway, that's a little tease. We will eventually get to that. But um, yeah, I don't know. For me, I think that satisfaction is just at the root of what the entire definition of rock and roll was during that period in time. And I think that I don't know. I just don't know what the world is like without that song. Whereas, I don't know, I can live without my generation. Patti Smith did other cover songs. <laughs> All right. We will... Question number two. Yeah. Uh, you can be uh, a fly on the wall. You can experience soup to nuts, the entire creation of one and only one of these two songs. Which is the one where you'd like to see the sausage get made? My generation, honestly. Absolutely. Completely <laughs> agree. Completely I, agree. I think that that's got to be interesting. I think that, like... The, the 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 twelve mics, Keith Moon avoiding the mics. Uh, <laughs> I mean, like Keith Moon alone would make. Yeah, me- just the experience of watching that, like in a studio setting, like right next to him. Yeah. Also, you uh, if you get to watch the entire thing, you get to watch Keith Moon explode. That is a thing that he did. Yeah on on their first uh, U.S. tour, playing its song on on t- television, uh, they put fireworks or something or pyrotechnics in his drums and they exploded and uh, i think he couldn't hear right for the rest of his life gave him the tinnitus well i think it happened to multiple i think it happened to, to pete townsend no yeah too. townsend think, i'm sorry that's right yeah townsend was, it was, the one it was townsend whose who's, who's ears got messed up and i think it was because they doubled up on it oh yeah they put way too much in there yeah hilarious and also awful but yeah i mean like yeah. i already have tinnitus it's fine uh but yeah, I think I I would agree just to be in the studio watching Keith Moon go and to see what improvisation stuff happened in the moment on that song. I just, I don't know. I think that would be really, really, really cool. Um, I feel like, I don't know. The fact of the matter is when I listen to Satisfaction, because of its imperfections, I kind of feel like I already got it. Like just listening to it, I feel like I'm in the room. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would take the who on that. All right, next question. Megan Thee Stallion. She's about to make one of these songs hot girl shit on a playlist. Which one? Which one? Which song should be Megan Thee Stallion level hot girl shit? If you say anything other than the Rolling Stones, you're out of your mind. 
I think it's closer than uh, you're implying there, but yes, it is satisfaction. It's it's, to me, it's so clear. It's so clear. And I let somehow have Meg sample that. I feel like we say this a lot where we want, we want her to sample things, but like, I think that would work so good. Yeah. I mean, her, uh, her last song has a pretty killer guitar solo on there. So like she can do rock. I mean, she can do anything. Yes. I told you, uh, um, we're, we're well past Halloween now, but she dressed up as Gretchen, the girl gremlin from Gremlins to the, the new batch. And um, that is the hottest thing any human being has ever done. Period. Hmm. End of story. There will be no counter arguments. <laughs> Amazing. I, I, when I saw that, I was like, I don't know. What to, my life is over. I felt as though I didn't know that was what I was waiting for, but then it happened, and I was like, it's all downhill from here. Uh, Anyway, question number four, uh, not only the most important question we ask on the podcast, but just the most important question in human history. William Shatner, uh, thespian, equestrian, singer? We're going to give it to him. He's going to do a William Shatner version of one, and only one of these two songs. Todd, which one of these songs must be shot upon? While lyrically, my generation gives him a lot to work with, I feel like the emotion of satisfaction would bring out the best in him as an actor. I can't get no! Yeah, so Uh, there's a lot of you and I agreeing, I think, on this (laughs) episode, and that's going to continue, and and I'm going to tell you why. I feel like if he did my generation, um, <laughs> it would just be back in my day, wouldn't it? Like, <laughs> it would be the most like we walked back and forth sixty billion miles in the snow. Like, I mean, except my generation. I mean, Shatner is almost like greatest generation, isn't he? <laughs> He's like, not a young feller, for sure. But uh, I don't know. He would just, it, the, the kind of energy that he would bring to it would not be the kind that I am interested in, I suspect. Yeah. Like, Whereas satisfaction uh, would be horny and uncomfortable, and I'm there for it. Yeah, that is that is the correct answer. It is definitely the Stones. Well, I feel that the Stones are coming ahead right now. But, obviously, um, we're garbage, fools, imbeciles. What we need to hear from is... The listeners. Todd, let's go to the comments. All right. Jace writes, The fact that capitalist boomers identify more with satisfaction than my generation is why the U.S. government is in such shambles. What? I don't know. I felt I wanted to say it so we could figure out what that means. I don't. Listen. (laughs) I'm not going to define you by this one thing that, that you've written. But I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> Respectfully, I don't. I don't know, man. I don't know. All right, Lucas writes: the Rolling Stones are peak boomer music. While I think rediscovering my generation by the Who is a rite of passage for every new group of disillusioned young people. That was basically what I was saying. But I read that and it's like the Rolling Stones are peak boomer music. I didn't realize that they meant it as a bad thing until I got to the end of that sentence. Yeah, I'm not sure that like so the thing about boomer music is that it's not all it's not all bad news. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's some music. Boomer that the music gets a bad to. 
boomer music gets a bad reputation because boomers talk it up so much. But yeah, I mean, like if you if you oversell it, then yeah, of course, you know, like I'm I'm from the perfect age group for this, in fact, because my dad would do nothing but tell me about how my music uh, sucked and how <laughs> I should be listening to ex boomer band, you know, yeah. Beatles, Stones, the Who, the Kinks, whoever, right? And there were moments where he would would try stuff out on me and it would hit, but it would hit kind of in spite. A little bit sometimes, yeah. right? Where I'd be like, come on, man. Like, I don't need to be told that my the music I'm listening to from my era ain't shit. That's a that's just a fundamentally bad argument. Uh, you're never really going to win anybody with that one. But, um, you know, as it, as it happens, once you kind of separate it on that level and it just becomes like music that came out in that era and then you can look at it historically and be like, what was happening, right? Because like the boomers, they weren't always like how they are now. Um, some of them used to be cool. Uh, it's over now for all of you. I don't know. But it's all over now. Yes. Anyway, yeah, I don't know. There's plenty of good boomer music out there. It's just, you know, the boomers sell it too hard. All right. Uh, Apocalypse then writes, and they are responding specifically to my description in the poll where I said these were like the two best non-Beatles British Invasion songs. Anyway, Apocalypse then writes, the Who and the Stones are the best non-Beatles British invasion band. I will not stand for this kink's shaming. There you go. Get it? Yes. Yeah. It's funny and <laughs> accurate. <laughs> All right. Mark Cope writes, this is unfair. This is like making me choose between my granddads. <laughs> 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 Boy, the comments are really mean. Yeah. Just a mean com- See, I don't know, man. Like, we do, when we do the 60s stuff, I, I could talk about it all day, but sometimes I wonder about the audience, whether yes. or not this is, this is anything other than cringe for them. <laughs> all right. David Yurch writes, I'm going with my generation in part because it sounds more like a song about being young, whereas the main riff of Satisfaction, classic as it is, Honestly, kind of sounds like the voice of a cranky old man. Like if you converted Squidward's voice into a guitar riff. Please do. Yeah, I'm Please not... do convert Squidward's voice to a, a guitar. Nah, that sounds nah, great. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> uh, I love that. Tort- Tortilla the Hun writes, I both can't get no satisfaction and hope I die before I get old. Yes, I agree. Don't we all? Yeah, I wish I, again, you know, wish I died before I got old. Mm, You're not old. You're not old. Okay. But you will be, so. Thanks, if you say (laughs) so. All right. MDGJCC writes, My generation sounds like the best first take, whereas Satisfaction sounds like the cleanest 20th take where the band now hates the song and just wants the recording session to be over. I completely disagree. (laughs) Or... To use another analogy, they continue, my generation is a glorious multi-car pileup of magic buses crashing into each other, while Satisfaction is the fancy new Aston Martin driving expertly around the same track 500 times. I like the magic bus reference. <laughs> it's nice. That's why I read it. But I, but, but I don't agree with anything else. I, that's a good analogy. I like how they put that because that's what I was trying to say. But I understand 
You gave your reasons for why that's wrong, and they're valid. All right. M. Bresnahan writes, I don't know if the Who have the better song, but my boss loves the Rolling Stones and Satisfaction and loves even more singing the lyrics like 15 seconds too early, and it's super annoying, so I'm voting the Who. Fuck you, Brad. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. I had a boss um, when I worked in the finance district who I'd gotten away from, but the only reason he'd let me go is because he knew that the department that I'd moved to was going to be uh, moved back into his department. (laughs) And when it happened, and I swear this is true, he brought me into his office and he just looked at me and said, under my thumb. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That man's name was Marty Malafronte and uh, he had a lot of heart problems and uh, I don't want to be so mean as to say I hope they finally got him, but like... (laughs) What a bastard. Like, when I tell you, like, there are many reasons. I, You know, you've listened to me. I'm not really cut out for the finance industry, but uh, he did not make it fun. He did not make finance fun. Under my... Wow, when you say... Under my thumb. When you say he had heart problems, do you mean that he had a blackened, shriveled heart? Like... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, I think he probably had, like, hypertension or calorie issues, stuff like that, you know? All right. Ryan M. writes... The real contest is between Satisfaction by Benny Benassi versus My Generation by Limp Bizkit. Oh, man, <laughs> I was waiting. I was like, somebody's going to make a Limp Bizkit joke. It's coming. And there I, it is. I mean, you the, did it. Please clap. All right. Um, I, there was one comment in there that said that My Generation by Limp Bizkit is better than My Generation by The Who. And uh, let me say... I have learned to grow and love Limp Biscuit and defend Limp Biscuit. My generation is like their worst fucking song. It is their worst fucking song. So, no, I reject it. Whichever comment that was, which I didn't bother to copy and write and read. Uh, yeah, that's and, awful. And, Who would listen again? Uh, I don't usually say that opinions are objectively wrong, but like that's just factually incorrect. <laughs> And uh, Satisfaction by Benny Benassi is, in fact, better than Limp Biscuit. Push okay, me. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, that's it's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. And then just touch me so I can get can my get, no. satisfaction. Yeah, I enjoy that. That's fun. Yep. And one last question. Lee, I mean, one last response. Lee Breezy writes, I get no satisfaction from how close this poll is. Oh. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Are you ready for the results? What is your guess? Because I, mean, I had no idea. I had no clue. I, I'm just going to assume that the people agree with me. So I'm going to say satisfaction one. By how much? Well, I mean, presumably it's not by much. You've, you've, kind, of, you've kind of spilled on yeah. that. So let's find out. All right. For a total of 388 to 372. Wow. That is a 51-49 split. That is literally just 16 votes difference. The Rolling Stones can, in fact, get satisfaction because they win over the who. Hey, (laughs) you see, the people, the people, Todd, even when they don't know that they're with me, they're with me. All right. I, I think that's a fair answer that the Rolling Stones are 16 votes better than the who. That's... <laughs> I definitely I mean, think 
that uh, the number of votes on this one I mean, that's tells a- me that we've got to do some newer music. <laughs> well, we will. But let's do Roy Oberson versus Elvis Presley. I don't know. Like the, I mean, the, that's a uh, seven hundred votes is no, is pretty decent for us. I feel like. I it's feel not, like we 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 could do better. All right, we can do better. Well, we will be doing some new music, but first, if you like the podcast and you want to help us make more podcast, you should go to our Patreon and give us money for podcast. Because we like money, and we need money. Money is an important thing for both of us. Help, computer. <laughs> so if you go to donate just a dollar to us, you can pick what we review. I mean, excuse me. You can hear all our bonus episodes where we review one movie a month, and you get to hear what we decide. It is voted on by you, and... If you donate us $20, you can pick one of the poll options. So presumably you could make us review what you want to review. If you can't do that. There's a Scott Pilgrim series that just came out. I was watching it and I thought that's going to show up in a poll. And it might. Maybe you'll be the one that puts it there. Maybe people will vote on it and then maybe we'll talk about it. You already made us watch the movie. You could make us watch the TV series also. In the meantime, um, we're going to watch uh, and talk about Stop Making Sense. Yes, and presumably we might stop making sense. I mean, we never started. So <laughs> Perhaps maybe we great. will start and then stop making sense. Anything could happen. Well, anyway, are you ready for the next episode? Yes. And oh my gosh, look at that. It is almost Christmas. We are less than four weeks away. Oh, are we, are we doing it? I think is it is it Christmas is it Christmas time? Yes. See, Lena does not know that it is Christmas time, but we've already done that episode. So, we will be doing and I promise you new music. We will be doing Ariana Grande's Santa Tell Me versus Kelly Clarkson's Underneath the Tree. New music. See, we do have new Christmas songs now. I can't wait for the Ariana stance to listen to <laughs> this episode and tell me that I look like a 70-year-old granny and did kill myself. Oh, did this did you wind up on the wrong side of Ariana stands? The Ariana They're the only they're, they're, I was going to say that the only stands I've ever done this with but boy, that's not true. But they're they're the most recent. And so um you know that that cut is still the deepest uh, at the moment. So I'm a little I'm I've been I've been I'll, hurt. Try, I'll try I'll try and set it aside. But you can only be told that you're 70 years old and you should die so many times by a group of strangers before you are soured on the artist they're defending. Uh, That hasn't been true for me. Uh, And I have had many such instances. Well, you're just a good person then. (laughs) Wow. Well, to be fair, they can't insult the way I look because I don't show that. But (laughs) all right, that's up next. I did not realize you had such a uh, negative... negative experience with Ariana Grande. One of these days we'll do Christmas songs I like. Not this <laughs> year. Here we go. I like them. Great. Right. I'm excited then. All right. Bye. Bye.